This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to our Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin as always. Packed show ahead for you. In the next segment, we'll talk to the Sporting KC Assistant Manager, Carrie Wagner, to feature the Loons' next game and the final match in Phase 1 of this 2020 campaign. We'll talk about Phase 2 as well a little later on. News coming out about the new fixtures for Minnesota United and the rest of Major League Soccer, as well as some of the headlines in what is a very, very busy period for the top flight of American soccer. But first of all, Kindred East St. Aubin, two wins in two for Minnesota United. They were convincing against RSL and not so convincing against FC Dallas. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. Exactly. I mean, especially in this crazy 2020 season that we've had with the interruptions, the ups and the downs and the amount of away games that Minnesota United has had to endure. You know, you're going to take your points where you can get them. And of course, you'd like to have a complete performance every time you hit the pitch. But we all know that's not that's not a reasonable expectation in, in a regular season, let alone in the way 2020 is gone. So you'll take the points where you can get them. Minnesota United capitalizing on being home, a home field advantage as far as sleeping in your own bed, not so much missing the tremendous fans that we're used to seeing at Allianz Field. But nonetheless, you know, a a big win. They needed these last two performances, these last two uh, games more than anything, because it was starting to look a little bit dire there for a while. And we know that the way the schedule is coming fast and furious, it's not going to get any easier. It's also in two starts for Emmanuel Reynoso, two assists, and it's no coincidence in my opinion, Kay, that the players around him, Robin Lourdes, Kevin Molino, and Mason Toy, have all scored in those two games and also perhaps look the best they have in some time. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, when you add a good player to the mix, what that can do for a team. I mean, even if he hadn't even touched the ball yet, I think the confidence from the players knowing that they're playing with uh, somebody of his caliber, of his level, of his skill. And yeah, he comes in highly touted, but he's still got to perform. He's still got to do it once he steps on the pitch. And you could just tell that the players were feeding off his quality from the first whistle of the first game. And I'm sure it was even that way in training. And it was very limited time in training. He got on the field for a few minutes in Houston. But, you know, I think when when you start to see what he's capable of and his movement off the ball, his movement on the ball, his willingness to defend, I think that strikes a chord with your teammates. It strikes a chord with the guys on the bench, with the guys behind you on defense, with everybody knowing that you have a player of that quality that you paid that kind of money for that's highly touted offensively, willing to put in the work behind the ball on defense as well. So, you know, I think um, a player like Kevin Molino thrives off combining with a guy like that. Um, I think we're starting to see it a little bit from Hassani Dotson in the minutes he's been able to play with him. And Robin Lud speaks highly of him as well. And he did it again this week during training when he was interviewed saying, you know what? Good players, you like to play with good players because they make you look good and you just have to put yourself in the right spot at the right time. And um, I think that's what we've seen. And Reynoso so far has lived up to the building. I know it's only been a couple games. You don't want to overblow it. But you have to think that there's he's a huge part of the reason why they've gotten back on track here. And this is the exciting thing about this as well. To our knowledge, this is Emmanuel Reynoso at about 70-75% at best. Who knows 
what he's going to look like when he's had a ton of football under his belt, Kendra, and looks perhaps as sharp as he can be. Well, and not just the fact when he's fully fit, but also the fact that he'll have more time to play with these players and develop more of a chemistry. So this is Emmanuel Reynoso at 60 or 70% fitness and having only a week or so of practice with these guys to develop the chemistry. Imagine when he is full strength, fully fit, and he's had plenty of time not just on the game, but on the practice pitch to really develop that chemistry. Because I do think the way he plays and the fluidity of his movement and the players around him, that's, I mean, it's going to be, I think, a, a real thing to behold and to watch the chemistry and the movement between particularly Kevin Molino, Robin Lud, and of course, Reynoso and whoever is up top, whether that's Mason Toy, you know, it, it Luis Amaria, if he comes, when he comes back into the fold, Ethan Finley, if he gets back on the pitch at some point, all these things, Hassani Dotson, I think probably will thrive on, on playing with a player like that. So um, this, this is a really positive sign. And I think that the team should feel really good about it. Kevin Molina was fabulous against FC Dallas from an attacking point of view. If you can break down that second goal because it was really, I think we said on commentary, vintage Minnesota United. It's exactly what Adrian Heath has wanted for some time. Well, and it's exactly what you want with that group of three or four players, you know, and I think we're going to highlight it um, as we go into the Sporting Kansas City game as well, because it is, it's textbook um, playmaking and movement on and off the ball from your front four, your front three, whatever you want to call it that Adrian Heath asks. And once you saw the combination play, Robin Lode getting involved, Kevin Molino getting involved, Luis Amaria, no, not Luis Amaria, <laughs> Emmanuel Reynoso getting involved. I just want Luis back on the field. Mason Toy getting involved. You know, all these pieces in the attacking third of the field that are passing and moving, the one touch, the, you know, back to the goal, the flicks, and, and you know, you've got Roman Metzenaire making the overlapping run and then playing the ball in, and then Kevin Molino with the finish. I mean, these are all things that you, you draw it up on the board, you, you throw it up on the whiteboard maybe in training and you talk about it, but actually seeing it come to fruition on the pitch, I think it just shows you the, the soccer IQ of the players that were on the field because they just, this isn't, this isn't like basketball or football where it's just X's and O's and you're drawing lines on the field of where you need to go. This is reading the game. This is just a, a soccer IQ of feeling the game out and, and reading the game in the moment and being in the right spot at the right time and making the good decisions. And it was a thing of beauty. And that was one of those things that you're like, man, I bet Adrian, he's just beaming on the sideline watching that come to fruition. And then the fact that it ends up in a goal, you can't, you can't draw it up much better. What about the other end of the field, Kendra? Two goals conceded for Minnesota United. I thought Dane St. Clair was extremely unfortunate. The first goal when it came across and Ricardo Pepe was able to stab him from close range, as little a goalkeeper can do in that situation. And the second one, he even got a claw to it when it was literally put in by Mosquera right on the line. I thought the goalkeeper was really unfortunate. Yeah, and you know, I think you've got to feel for the goalkeepers um, in these situations right now because in, in Dane St. Clair, you know, he didn't get the, he came back from his USL duty, and um, you know, Greg Rangitsing had initially gotten the start when time, Tyler Miller was deemed that he was going to have surgery. So 
it's just kind of an up and down wonky season. And I think Dane St. Clair has stepped in nicely. There is a familiarity with him between the posts because he's been with the team since the start of the last season, since 2019, trained nearly every day, played in all those friendlies. And they, they appreciate and respect his communication, I think, between the pipes. And yeah, I mean, an unfortunate situation. And, and Adrian Heath, I think, um, though he got the win, though Minnesota United got the win, I think he was disappointed at the fact that they gave up the late goals, that they kind of allowed a little bit of breathing room and energy um, from the opposition. He wanted, you know, just to kind of, you put your foot on the opposition and don't allow them a window of opportunity back in. And Dane St. Clair, you know, to really no fault of his own, he's trying to direct the box. He's trying to keep it together. He's trying to organize back there as they continued to throw all numbers forward and put whoever they could inside the box and create problems um, from FC Dallas. But yeah, Dane St. Clair, unfortunate, but I do think that he does well communicating. He does well directing traffic. He tries to own that space in front of him. I think the back line is actually very familiar with him having had him at training um, since 2019. And of course we know Chase Gasper and him were, were teammates and uh, roommates at Maryland. So there's a familiar familiarity about his voice and his presence on the back line. I do think he was just a little bit unfortunate and fortunately Minnesota still ended up with a win, maybe a little too close for comfort for Adrian Heath down the stretch, but they were able to close it out in the end and, and a man down. We should know. Yeah. We'll talk about Rob Momentan near sending off uh, a little later on. Let me ask you about Mason Toy's performance. I think it's safe to say he's been lacking confidence recently and lacking form in front of goal that strike would have done his confidence the world of good, would it not? Look, I think that Mason Toy, you know, sometimes we just have to remember he is still young. And I know that in other parts of the world, this isn't young. You know, 21 is not young. But I think that he's still growing into the game and he's still trying to find his way. And um, his confidence had absolutely been hurting. You know, he, he started off the season on a bit of a rough stretch. Then you have this long layoff and then he gets some minutes in the MLS's back tournament, but nothing consistent. And when you're not playing consistently, it's hard to find your footing. It's hard to find your groove. And, um, you know, there's something to be said for just overthinking the game. You know, even though I just feel like soccer is such a game of ebbs and flows and going with the flow and there is no set set plays per se, like basketball or football, you know, where you can line up at the line and say, this is what we're going to run on this situation. It's reading the game. It's a flow of the game. And you just think, I just felt like Mason Toy was overthinking it. Sometimes you want him to make the right decisions and the right runs, but also feel the game out. So that goal I think is going to do his confidence wonders, but he also knows that that's not the only fix, but for sure you could tell the, sense of relief almost when he went to the I think it was towards the corner flag and almost let out like a roar and throws his hands up in the air because I'm sure there was a weight off his shoulders a sense of relief from him in that moment just knowing that you know he's trying so hard to do the right thing on every play to make the right run and it just feels like half the time it's not the right decision. And so for him, it's frustrating. For the staff, it's frustrating because you know what he's trying to do. And he's trying to be in the right spot at the right time. And sometimes maybe just overthinking it. Um, so, you know, you felt I, I felt happy for him. I think, you know, we've all probably been in that situation at least one time in our our soccer lives that you just, you're overthinking it. You're trying too hard. You're trying to impress. You're trying to make the right decision. 
and no longer are you doing what comes naturally to you. And soccer is a very natural game. You know, it's a very free flowing game. So I was happy for Mason Toy. We'll see if he can continue it on considering, um, you know, what the injury situation might be going forward. And it's quite the injury situation for Minnesota United. Mason Toy, as it stands, the only striker available to Adrian Heath. Amaria out for who knows how long. Um, Aaron Schoenfeld has a little niggle, which seems to be persistent as well. And Adrian Heath mentioned this to us when we were talking to him just earlier on today, that once again, going up against Sporting Kansas City, there's going to be as many as five players who would start regularly for this side That'll be unavailable. At some stage, Kinder, does this perhaps force Minnesota United to look into the trade and transfer market? You know, I think it's one of those situations that every season, every club is always looking just in case, or you can never have enough depth or enough quality on your roster. But I think this year in 2020, it's even becoming more relevant, Um, not just for Minnesota United, but for several clubs really having to dig in and find where they can find the depth. And, you know, Minnesota United does not have the luxury right now of an academy that you're just pulling players up from and that you've been developing. And, you know, you and I talked to um, Sporting Kansas City and, you know, I think they are they have a luxury, right? They have a luxury there of being able to pull from some of these young, young players, these young studs, give them some minutes, rotate them in more than they ever have before because, of the way 2020 has gone. And so, yes, Minnesota United is going to have to look outside of Minnesota United to find some depth up top. I mean, it's just a given. And even if everyone was healthy and fit, you almost have to always have your radar up because anything could happen at any moment. And these games are coming fast and furious. I mean, you're lucky if you get four or five days between a game. And now Minnesota with this start of the second phase being released, knowing they're going to be on the road for the majority of that time. And who knows what, what will happen for the foreseeable future. So I think it's smart to um, continue to look, to always have your radar up, to have Mark Watson kind of on the alert and on the ready. The, the hard part is, is Minnesota United is not going to be the only club that's in this situation because of the way the season is kind of being, is just coming at you. It's coming at you fast now. And um, they're going to have to, try to keep everybody healthy. And as we said, Minnesota, not the only club dealing with it, but at the same time, you know, they're going to have to try to, you know, kind of go to the well and go to the market there and see what's available. And I'm guessing it's going to have to be someone in the United States in MLS. It's just too difficult right now with the coronavirus and everything else and the hoops you have to jump through to get, you know, I think a, a player over on short notice. Before we talk about other transfers that are about to happen or that have happened around the world of Major League Soccer, you mentioned the games are coming thick and fast, not only for Minnesota United, but everybody in this league announced today on uh, Friday, um, Minnesota with three games away at Houston, away to Columbus, home to Real Salt Lake. A lot of away games, again, Kindred East St. Albany, you would assume at some stage, I mean, who knows, it's 2020, but at some stage you would assume that this would work itself out and Minnesota would have as many home games as they've had away games because now it's three out of ten games that have been at home for Minnesota. So many away games, which ultimately, with the way that things are traveling on the day, it is a disadvantage. Well, and, you know, I don't envy the job that anybody at MLS has trying to create the schedule and continue to move forward. But at the same time, I don't think we are expected to be 
completely tight-lipped and not have some complaints about the way this has come together. Because sometimes, especially looking at Minnesota's schedule, you look at it and go, did they think about this or did they just kind of throw a dart at a regional aspect and say, but for Minnesota to be on the road again, two of the three games in this next phase, I just think is a little perplexing because whether you're traveling a short distance or a long distance or the same day or whatever it is, it's still, you're traveling. It's still, and whether there's fans in the stands or not, you're still traveling. It's still away. Um, it's still having to deal with that situation. Still not sleeping in your own bed, at least for the time being, or getting back at three in the morning, whatever it might be. And, um, I'm still not entirely convinced about playing an Eastern conference opponent. I know that the way the geographical nature works of the, the league, they're trying to keep the travel down so you can get in and out on the same day. But I also think that once you start doing these little one-offs, especially for the central teams cross conference, well, what happens with all the Western conference teams that are going to continue to only play Western conference, the ones that are, you know, in California, Portland, Seattle, and they're not going to be traveling to play East coast teams. And same with the, the far East teams not traveling, you know, to the West coast. But, um, I just, I just think you'd be better off keeping your conference, but I'm sure there's people that are much smarter than me that have figured this out, but I guarantee that the, the lopsided nature of the road games right now for Minnesota United, as much as Don Garber and company may say, Hey, those will even out in the end. Well, what if by the time they even out, you are too far gone down the standings because you've had to travel on the road. This isn't just like a, Hey, we'll make this up to you. You do your first 15 on the road and your second 15 at home, just throwing out numbers. That's that doesn't work. It has to be more equal throughout the season because you can find yourself too much in a hole if you're on the road early and that you can't dig out and climb out of. So um, I think that's probably the, um, the concern for Minnesota United and for the staff is that we, we got to be on our game. And as we saw the first couple road games did not suit Minnesota United. So I'm sure they're a little perturbed at this next release, um, but we'll see what the second half of phase two ends up looking like. Okay, let's take a look at some of the deals that are about to happen or indeed have happened in Major League Soccer. There's around about five weeks left of the transfer window uh, open for MLS teams to do business. Uh, let's talk about some that are outgoing. Reggie Cannon, to our knowledge of FC Dallas, has uh, left and has gone to Boa Vista in Portugal. But today, Kendra, we're finding out as well that that could potentially also be the destination for Albert Elise from Houston Dynamo. Yeah, and you know, I mean, this I, I'm not saying this destination has been rumored for Albert Elise uh, for a long time, but it seems like it's been rumored that he was leaving Houston Dynamo for well over a year now. You just kind of kept waiting for the the other shoe to drop on that and shocked that he was back for 2020. So, I mean, who knows? He also hasn't been healthy of late. So you, you never know what goes into these deals, especially with this crazy wonky 2020. Um, and I do think Tab Ramos has done his due diligence in knowing that this was maybe always a situation that was going to occur as far as trying to fill the void and continue to build the team and fill different places and positions and use other players differently. Um, in the, in the case that they, they knew very well, Albert Elise could be gone and on his way out. So he's missed um, some time this season. So I think that Tab Ramos and, and company have kind of been prepping for the, the fact that he might be gone and, and might be overseas. And um, interesting, though, that they, he ends up at the same club. 
as uh, as Reggie Cannon. That's kind of interesting to me. But nonetheless, um, Houston's going to have to move on. And and I don't know uh, if this is good for the league or not, as we viewed some of the other transfers out, um, saying like, hey, this is good that you're getting some money for this guy and somebody wants somebody from MLS. Um, but I just think uh, I think Albert Alice is going to be hard to replace like for like player for Houston, but they've done their best. Yeah, I, I must admit, I'm quite surprised if this happens at the destination of Albert Alice, because I know for a fact, having spoken to people back home in the UK, that Wolverhampton Wanderers did indeed make an inquiry about a year ago. And I kind of thought that if Elise was going to make a move, it, it would be. Um, a move like that to the Premier League or, or to a, a big team in Ligue 1 or, or maybe over to La Liga or somewhere. So to go to Boavista, with all due respect, you know, Boavista aren't the biggest club in Portugal either. You know, I perhaps would have understood if it was an FC Porto or a, mm-hmm. um, a sporting club in Portugal. I would have understood that sort of move. But look, maybe there's a new project that we're unaware of at Boavista and maybe they will become one of the, the top teams in Portugal. Who knows? Um, Reggie Cannon, by the way, leaving. Uh, it's just a a fabulous example of how to do things the right way in Major League Soccer, isn't it? With the homegrown system. Dallas have developed 29 professionals from their academy and then gone on and and sold them off to various different places around the world, done some trades internally as well. But you have to look at some of the names that that have left there now. Um, Obviously, there was a mistake in letting Weston McKinney go on a free transfer to Schalke Nulfir, what was it, four or five years ago. That was a mistake, but they've in my opinion now, they've done this the right way by selling Reggie Cannon after bringing him through the academy, getting what we believe to be a, a couple of million dollars for a right back. Um, I, I think FC Dallas should be commended for, for this type of move. Well, and I think that we're finally starting to see come to fruition what you expect from a system like this, that what maybe MLS in the initial years was hoping to finally become, where you can groom these young players and have them as homegrowns, and you're selling them on to other leagues around the world, not just moving them around the United States, not just moving them around MLS, or not just keeping them for your own club because they have the homegrown status and that alleviates some issues with your actual roster and the way MLS is built. But the fact that other clubs around the world want your players, want your young players that have developed in your system in the United States, I think that just says a lot about how far this league has come and how the advancements continue and that, you know, they're willing to let a player like Reggie Cannon go because they've groomed someone else to come in and fill his spot. And that is how you want an academy to work. That is how the system is supposed to work. And kudos to Reggie Cannon and kudos to, you know, whether it's FC Dallas or any of these other teams that have these academies, kudos to sticking with that plan and then being feeling good about letting the player go. Now, yes, you are getting money for him, of course, but there is something to be said for letting that player go that you have groomed in your system and spent the time and the money and the energy um, to, you know, invest in them as they were in your system. And Reggie Cannon, quite honestly, at this moment and this time, probably doesn't hurt to have a little bit of a fresh start. This is what he's been working towards. And this gives more credibility, I think, and credence to also the U.S., men's national team as he continues on most likely on that roster 
it's okay to be a selling league as well. That's yes. one thing that I think Major League Soccer still has to come to terms with. It's okay. Um, talking of players incoming, let's talk briefly about uh, Gonzalo Higuain arriving to Inter Miami from Juventus. Here's my thing about this, Kindra. As long as he gets serviced, as long as he's motivated, I think he'll be fine. But he has to understand that he's coming to an expansion team who aren't going to possess the ball anywhere near the amounts to the sides that he's played on in the previous couple of years, Real Madrid, Juventus and Chelsea. I understand the addition of Matuidi will help that, but he has to understand that he won't get as much of the ball as he has done, meaning the chances he does get, he has to take. And, and I think as long as he understands that, he'll be okay. Well, and you know, I think a huge, first of all, I thought you were going to say as long as he understands that jorts are really not acceptable <laughs> in Miami <laughs> with that picture from the airport. But I think it's going to depend on what was sold to him. What was sold to him when they were, when they, I'll say recruited, but you know what I mean? When they were talking to him to want him to come over here to the United States and play in Major League Soccer. What was pitched to him as the idea? What was the style of play? What did they convey to him to make him want to come here? Now, yes, is it fantastic probably to be in Miami? Do a lot of players, as they get up a little bit older and in their career, enjoy and want to come to the United States? We've seen it happen time and time again. Now, more often we're seeing younger players, which is fantastic. But with him specifically, I think it is going to be a little bit about what what was he told? What What was the idea that was pitched to him to get him to want to come to this league in the United States. And I do think that there is a massive shift in major league soccer in the sense that you are getting players now that are still quality players, good players that can impress in this league, that can make an impression in this league. They are not washed up, retired players just coming to coast in the United States. But I mean, let's be fair too. inner Miami has, a lot more to do and a lot more to go than just signing Iguain. But am I excited to see him in this league? Absolutely. The second that rumor was reported, I was like, bring him to MLS. That is a fantastic addition. That is a good piece to have in this MLS puzzle. And that will attract fans when fans can all return to the stadium. So it's going to depend on what he was sold and how he embraces it. You know, I mean, it, Inter-Miami is clearly still a project. So it's, it's a lot to go. It is. It's going to be really interesting. So next up here on the podcast, we'll be speaking to Sporting KC assistant manager Kerry Zavagnan. Before we head to break, Kendra, quickly in one word, Roma Metzenier, red card against FC Dallas. Was it a red or no? No. There we go. Well, either way, Minnesota United without him, heading up against Sporting Kansas City. Stay with us for more coming your way. Callum Williams here, as always, alongside Kindra D. St. Orbin. Next up for Minnesota United, on the road to Sporting Kansas City, just for a change. So, we thought we'd get a fabulous guest to join us. The assistant manager of Sporting Kansas City, Kerry Zavagnan, joins the podcast. Kerry, thank you very much for joining us. I think it's safe to say 2020 has been best described as an anomaly of a season, at least so far. What have we made of 2020 and how has it been for you from a Sporting KC point of view? 
I don't think that we are any different than any other club uh, in the league to this point. Uh, we've had our good moments. We've had our challenging moments. And uh, like many, um, we, we've tried to find consistency, both both on the field and off the field. Uh, you take a good start to the season, in which, which we had, um, only to find ourselves uh, on pause with the pandemic, going down to Orlando, which was uh, met with very challenging conditions um, and to get through that relatively unscathed in terms of injuries uh, and, and, uh, and, and stability in terms of our mentality coming back into Kansas City. Um, we, we, we saw that off as a positive in, in Orlando. Um, you know, to restart the season now uh, back in Minnesota a few weeks back and then finding ourselves back um, at home coming this week. And I, I, I can summarize it by saying it's, it's been a year of um, inconsistency um, uh, on and off the field. And so, as I said, like everybody, we're trying to find our way. We're trying to find our form um, under very extreme uh, circumstances. So, and you can see that with our results and with the results of all the other teams in the league. Um, although that we have probably our, if I'm not mistaken, our fourth best start in club history to the season at five, three, and two, uh, it certainly doesn't feel that way. Um, and I think it has to do with the uh, really unpredictable nature in which 2020 has brought to us. Well, and speaking of that unpredictable nature, how have the new guys on the roster in this season kind of weathered the storm? It's one thing for the guys that are returning, they were familiar with just their surroundings, but you've got new guys coming in and international guys that are trying to find an apartment, find a home, get their feet underneath them. And then you have this long break. How do you think that they have fared during this time as well? It's a good question. I, I, I think adaptation uh, for an for a international player coming in, even in the best of circumstances, is, is challenging. And sometimes it takes a player uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and, and sometimes it takes a player a year. It's really tough to evaluate the speed of their adaptation based on a year like this because it's so unprecedented um, with the challenges that we're facing individually and collectively off the field, it's really tough to tell how they, they're, they're adapting uh, in both areas of their lives. So I think we're going to have to wait uh, to next year to see how quickly they can adapt under normal circumstances. But to, to answer your question, I, I think it's been very, very challenging um, for those players. Now, uh, they all have good mentalities. They have good work ethics. They have good spirit. They, they seem and they appear to be handling the challenges very well, but, but I, I can't answer definitively that everything is great for them, uh, like it is, like, like all of us. What about from individuals that are from Kansas City, the homegrown players, Kerry? Given the way that 2020 has been, it must have been incredibly handy for Sporting Kansas City to be able to dip into the academy and the USL affiliate like they have. Well, absolutely. And I, look, we've used 21 players uh, on the field uh, over the course of 10 games. There's no way that would have happened if we would have got, had been under normal circumstances. And so we've had the opportunity to give some young players, some academy players, um, th their, their opportunity to play in meaningful games. And I look at that as a positive this year. We're, we're really able to evaluate our roster um, and, and, and be tempered with our our evaluations of them, but at the same time, give them meaningful experience in, in, in some important games. And so 
that's been an extreme positive. Jalen Lindsay, uh, Busio, Cam Duke, who's come in. Um, th these guys are all getting meaningful experience. Graham Smith's getting a, a load of games under his belt. And, and I think that only bodes well um, for the young players, not, not just in our club, but in clubs all over the league to get uh, meaningful experience in, in, in games that otherwise they probably wouldn't have. Gianluco Busio is someone that you just mentioned there, and he's seen some minutes over the past few seasons, even though, you know, he's so young. Is this his best position, do you think, or just his best position for a sport in Kansas City or the best you've seen him? I think, I, well, I, I think it's the best we've seen him because he has consistency of games. Um, it's really difficult for a young player to come in, play one game, and then four games later get in and play another game. It's, it, it's the consistency of games that's allowed him to, um, you know, evolve his game or to improve his game. Whether that's his best position or not, I think is, is still up for debate. Um, right now, he's the best player that we have for that position. Um, when you look at the combinations and the chemistry between players and the relationships that are developed between players, it really depends on who's, who's on the field at that time. Uh, Boos can play in the number eight position or the sixth position. And depending on how the cast of characters around him operate, um, it, it kind of kind of goes into what the answer is of what his best position is. But He's certainly been able to handle the, 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 the demands of the defending aspects from that position, as well as being able to distribute from that position. So I, I think, you know, to, to, to make the answer a short answer, he's just a, he's a good player that can play in many positions in that midfield. Gary, it's not been the greatest run of form for Sporting KC over the course of the last couple of weeks. What do you put that down to at the moment? the year um 21 players in 10 games um trying to find uh trying to find our game trying to find who we are trying to uh reaffirm reconfirm our identity of of how we want to play the game it's it's awfully challenging when you have such an inconsistency of lineup um when you go into conditions like orlando in which the the heat the humidity the environment uh, forces you to adjust your game and then you come back and you restart the season in your markets and uh, traveling on game day which I don't think has been a negative but it's been unique challenges and so there's so many variables that are attacking your ability to be consistent that that's exactly what you're seeing from Sporting Kansas City right now is a team that is um, has good moments has ability has good players um, has a proven identity if you look over the years, but is struggling to find consistency like every other team in the league. And, you know, Minnesota is in a good moment right now, where if we were to speak three weeks ago, they were in a bad moment. And so we're no different. And funny enough, we find ourselves in the same goal differential, the same points, and we've arrived here in different ways. But um, nevertheless, we're, we're in the same boat as we were uh, right before the season began, which is neck and neck and even on, on everything. So um, I don't think, as I said at the top, we're, we're, we're no different than any other team in this league right now, struggling to find consistency. But on that note, you guys started off red hot. I know it seems like an eternity ago, the first two games of the regular season, but how much has this bit of a setback, this current struggle really kind of toyed with your mentality in the sense that 
you were coming off a 2019 that was unprecedented for the wrong reasons for Sporting Kansas City. You were on the right track for 2020. Yeah. Now you have this crazy MLS's back tournament shutdown, and now you're trying to find your footing again. How has you as a coaching staff had to really kind of get together and, and work through this? It, it, it forces you to double down on who you think you are and who you want to be um, or chase weekly results and kind of chalk the season up as to let's just get some guys out there that are healthy and see if we can go week to week, no matter what the cost and achieve whatever result we can achieve. And hopefully at the end that we have enough points to make the playoffs. That's never been the mentality of the, the staff here or the club here to live and die week to week on the result. We've always been uh, vigilant and, and determined to find our way through the course of the season, knowing that in the short term of the weeks that you might not get the result that you're looking for, but you're hopefully building something so that by the end of the year, you're peaking and you're confident in the way that your team plays. What we've been faced with this year, and you're absolutely correct, in the beginning of the season, both through the preseason, I'm sorry, the offseason, in which the players had absolutely committed themselves to being better, the preseason, the first two games were, were an indication that we were on the right path, and then we have this, this halt. And, and these aren't excuses. We, we, the, the consistency in which we were trying to achieve has been put into question. Um, the, the, the injuries, of course, the multiple players that we've had to use, it's impossible to have the continuity that we were seeking. What I think has happened in recent weeks is that we've been able to really dig, dig deep and dive deep into our thought process of what we want this team to look like, not, not only on the weekend here, but in the months ahead. And, and the, the games are coming so fast and furious, it's really difficult to train your idea throughout the course of the week for it to appear on the weekend, to play every three or four days show a few video clips or to talk through a few things, it doesn't give you the, the desired result that certainly we want the team to look like. So any moment and any time that you get a week between games, we, we, we cherish that and we value that. And we've had that opportunity through the course of this week to have a real buildup to this game. Will, will it be perfect? And now we'll be sporting Kansas City that People have come to, to know in terms of identity. I, I don't know, um, but, but we certainly are, are happy with the opportunity to train the idea um, in hopes that it'll, it'll reveal itself, not just this weekend, but in the weeks and months ahead. You wouldn't mind just expanding on that a little bit, Kerry. You, you mentioned continuity earlier on. It's impossible to find that, is it not, when you've got games on Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday? Impossible. And, and we, we found that... That became apparent in Orlando um, in the preparation that we had for this tournament format, which is is unique all in and of itself, that you don't face that in club in, in, in the club environment. It was more of a World Cup uh, format. Um, we found that in Orlando, where it was very difficult to train um, and, 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 and build your, 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 your idea of the game. Um, and you have to you have to understand that to be off with individual training and players being off for that amount of time, Orlando was basically preseason. But at least in preseason, you're able to play a game, play half a game, um, 
and work throughout the week on your on your ideas, right? And and build your team. You didn't have that luxury in 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 Orlando. You were just trying to fight through a game every three days. So the the the, the concept of the team really deteriorated in terms of building your game. It was survival of the fittest. And then you get through that point, and then you go right into playing again every three days. You can see the challenges that you face of what are the what are the training times that you really have to to develop your team. And so um, we hope we're getting away from that. We know we're we're being thrusted back into it, but even this week has been a really uh, enjoyable reprieve from the, the the rigors of a game every three days. When you look at this roster and you've had some young players, you said it's kind of this player kids mentality and trying to rotate some of these guys in and just due to the schedule, who has really stepped up, you think, maybe in a leadership role that you weren't expecting or that has really come to the forefront for you guys as you've had to rotate your roster and your starting lineup as, as this crazy schedule continues? Well, I, I think the, the, the typical cast of characters, right, that, that have been and led this team over the years, whether they've been on the field or off the field, have continued to, to do a good job, especially with the young players. Um, I, I think Jalen Lindsay has accounted himself very well, um, playing at left back, playing at right back, um, and to have the understanding of the challenges that a player like that with not a great deal of experience is going through, for him to account for himself out on the field in the performances that he's given has been an encouraging sign. I think we talked about Busio, which really took the reins of and the responsibility of playing in a very, my, my opinion, a very important position uh, of the defensive midfielder that links the team together. Uh, he's really stepped up and, and, and elevated his game. Um, and we've gotten some timely contributions from a guy who's been in the USL for a couple of years and, and really, um, you know, is sort of a late bloomer for us uh, in Felipe Hernandez, who, who has taken on the responsibility that and the void of, of the injury to Roger Espinoza and kind of given us the things that we need in that area of the field that Roger um, has done for so many years. So some encouraging signs, as I said, Graham Smith has contributed very nicely and continues to become uh, an important part of our back line. And so, you know, Cam Duke is another guy. It's, it's just really great to see these guys step up. And, and, and you say from a leadership perspective, we've always been a team and our core values have always been uh, centered around a team first mentality. And for these guys to embrace that, I think has been encouraging. It's, it, it's been a good sign. And so um, we're by no means the completed product or these, these are not the complete players, um, but they're working towards that. And, and we feel good about that. We've touched on youth, Kerry. Let's talk about an individual that's perhaps in the prime of his career. During his second spell with Sporting Kansas City, Kyrie Shelton, four goals in nine MLS starts so far. I know before in the past you've played a centre-forward like him who perhaps would be viewed by others as more of a target man. You've played them out wide. I remember back in the day CJ Sapong playing out there. Is that his best position and how effective can he be? Does he perhaps allow you to, to play a little more direct? You can, yes. Um, I, I think he gives you a reference point up there that that is undeniable, uh, a, a player that can hold up the ball and allows us to play into and be a little bit more direct. Um, you don't really want to, you know, we don't want to compromise our game and now just being a direct team. And we talked about the identity prior to, and, and it, it's, it's finding that balance of, 
which players do you have at your disposal and what positions can you put them in to be most successful? Kyrie is most successful in two positions, I think, and, and it's difficult. Again, I, I talked about it with Boos and what his best position is. With the cast of characters and the supporting cast around him, how can he be the most effective? And so when you have all your, your players at your disposal, Kyrie's a very good wide player, a wing player that, that can give you something that maybe Gerso can't or, or Johnny Russell can't. He offers a unique mismatch with a lot of outside backs in the league in the wing position. When he plays up top, and he was very successful prior to, to leaving for Europe, where we used him up top from time to time, very good at holding the ball up um, and not necessarily being this tremendous number nine goal scorer, but allowing the Johnny Russells, the Daniel Shallowies of the world to, to, to find themselves in positions to score goals. If I'm not mistaken, when Kyrie in 2018 um, played up top for us, I think Johnny had a, a, an outstanding year of goals, and so did Daniel. And that was a lot to do with the work that Kyrie did up top. Based on how the season has gone and how you guys have sort of tried to navigate the, the situation, what would you say has maybe been the most surprising bright spot uh, for Sporting Kansas City and, and for your roster kind of going through this tumultuous time in, in 2020? I, I think probably the biggest uh, things that stick out for me is that We've been able to find results um, in games that probably didn't reflect the way we want to play. Uh, we, we've grinded out a few results. Um, I, I think probably when you look at the first two games of the year, you were, if you're a Sporting Kansas City supporter, you're happy with the performance. Uh, you're happy with the result. When you go down to Orlando, I think we found results. We found results. And, and in the group phase of the three games to get two wins, um, was very, very important for us. Already you're at four wins of the season and you set yourself up nicely. To go to Minnesota, which is a very difficult place to play, um, as we've seen over the years, and get a result there and to win on the road. We've gotten two, two wins on the road um, early in this season, and that, that's been a positive sign. We've come from behind to achieve what is a negative result to either tie and win the game. That's a positive thing. And so... I think the indicators that we've had uh, in, in, in years that we've been good, we've been able to win on the road and we've been able to come from behind. In 2013, in which Cal knows the year that we're talking about with, with the MLS Cup champions, uh, we started the season uh, 10 games in with this exact record. Yet the team had a very similar, maybe not identity, but they had a very similar mentality in which they were able to grind out results they were also able to win on the road and they were able to come from behind. So it might not look fantastic, but we have to take these positives and understand the comparisons of what it looks like in championship years, because those are the years that you remember the final game. You don't necessarily reflect on how difficult it was to get there. And right now we're in the difficult moment, uh, hopefully grinding through what will be a successful year. We're visiting with the Sporting KC assistant manager, Kerry Zavagd. And Kerry, what about the opponents then over the next couple of days? Where did Minnesota United force yourself and Peter Vermees to scratch their head and where do they cause you problems? Well, I, I think it's really easy to look at the team right now and say, well, you know, they have some injuries. Um, they've played midweek. 
might be an opportunity to take advantage of them. Um, when you look at the, the, the Orlando tournament, very similar circumstances. Minnesota hadn't trained much um, coming off of the pandemic, like all of us in Orlando, first game out, lots of injuries, key injuries to, to Alonzo. Uh, Amaria is not in the game and we end up losing the game. And so we're not gonna fall into that trap. The expectations are that we're gonna get a very competitive team. Uh, I probably sound like I'm, I'm on a recording uh, from a previous conversation a competitive team, a team that has to feel good about the recent results after, after dropping a few on the road. They come back, uh, you, you get a, a convincing win against Salt Lake. Um, you, you survive a red card against uh, Dallas the other night. So just like us, trying to find consistency, but have to feel good about uh, where you sit in the standings and the ability to overcome adversity. And so yeah, it's going to be tough for them to come into Sporting Park. We hope we hope we can make it tougher for them, um, but we know it's going to be it, it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a challenge, um, and and they've had players that have stepped up as well in the absence of of, of some injuries and some suspensions. Knowing the the difference in the roster from the first time you played Minnesota United and the addition of Emmanuel Reynoso, does that how much does that change the way you game plan and what have you seen from his addition to Minnesota United in the last couple matches? Well, I I, I think uh, to focus on him in just solely um, at this point would almost be too putting putting so much on the plates uh, of the players that, that that we've been working on this week. We're trying to find ourselves. Certainly, we're we're. We're aware of the player, um, his ability on the ball, his ability to, to be a difference maker, uh, to be very creative in the attack, uh, very technical, very skillful, and can get the ball to players in dangerous positions. Um, we, we've played against, uh, not to minimize his impact, we've played against players like this in the league um, on a number of occasions. We're aware of him, absolutely, um, but we really have to focus on our game and and, and and try to put our imprint on, 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 the, on the game on the weekend. Um, we're aware of Debassi, who came in the other night, and his, his moments in, in, in Amiens and the experience that he has in the French League. So we've done our homework in that aspect, but you know, so much information given to our players. We, they have to be aware, but they have to be more concentrated on, on our game and what we're trying to accomplish uh, at the end of the day. Just finally, Kerry, before we let you go, I know the respect between the staff that you work with, that Adrian Heath and his staff, is huge. You both have a lot of time for each other. Why is that? And, and why do you think Adrian Heath's system has worked so well here at Minnesota United? Well, I, I think Adrian knows exactly what he wants from his team. Um, and he, he, he knows what kind of team uh, is successful in, 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 his, in his image. Um, and, and he's proven it over not just this year, but, but many, many years, dating back even prior to, to Minnesota, uh, back in his days in Orlando. So he, he has a recipe that's, that's proven. Um, it, you always know what you're going to get from his team, and, and I think that's probably what's contributed to the success that he's having in Minnesota. He also knows what kind of players he wants in his team uh, and what players are successful. And so he's been able to and given and afforded the time to acquire those players and now to build the team in his image. And I think that can't be overstated. Um, when you look around the league, teams that stick 
and give the opportunity for coaches to build the team with their identity, usually with that stability, find some sort of success. Now, long-term success yet to be, you know, not, not always, but you can find success um, over the course of, of, a, of a few years um, when a coach is allowed the time. And I think a credit to the ownership in Minnesota that they've given Adrian the time, even in the beginnings uh, of, of, of the, the franchise there as it relates to Major League Soccer um, and, and taking an expansion team and being able to, to weather that storm, but to stay resolute uh, to the coach, I think is a, is a big credit to the ownership group, but also to the work that Adrian and his staff does. Wonderful. Kerry Zabagnan, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Always good with you guys. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Kerry. That is the assistant manager of Sporting KC, Kerry Zabagnan. Uh, always fabulous to hear from him and uh, hear some of his words. Uh, Kindred East St. Albans. So, Sporting KC, the opponents. Uh, obviously, there is a tremendous amount of respect for the other from both sides of this particular game. Um, what do we expect from Minnesota United, though, going into this game, bearing in mind there's been a lot of football recently, Kate. Well, exactly what I was just about to say. I feel like this 2020 season is sort of the year of the unknown, and, and you could hear it there from, from the assistant manager there was born in Kansas City, is that you just – every day you have to kind of go into training with a different mentality. This isn't like you can spend absurd amounts of time gaming game planning for the next opponent. You're trying to rest. You're trying to recover. You're trying to recoup. You're trying to game plan. You're trying to watch film. And I think ultimately you end up having to focus on yourself a lot. As you heard him say there, when we were asking about Minnesota United, as much as we respect our opponent, we have to really focus on ourselves at this point in time because the games are coming thick and fast and you're trying to make adjustments. So I think, you know, Adrian Heath and his staff have done much, much the same, trying to pick and choose the moments of when to rest players. You hope you have the quality depth on your team. You may have some unforeseen injuries. This is that next man up mentality. And the only positive is that every club across MLS is going through the same circumstances in this crazy 2020 season where you're just trying to navigate. You're trying to navigate the schedule, the travel, the same day in and outs. Um, and you just hope that the depth of your roster was there before 2020 even got rolling. And I think Adrian Heath has to feel good about where his roster is at. And if the hits keep on coming, you know, Sporting Kansas City's dealing with them. You know, every club is dealing with situations. Um, you just have to hope it's the next man up mentality and they're going to step up and, and be up to the task. Real testament to the roster as well, the fact that Minnesota have as many as five players you, you would consider to be starting unavailable, and yet they seem to be moving on fairly flawlessly, Kimber. You do, and you have to have respect for the roster, respect for the depth, the quality of the depth of the players that were brought in, and even youngsters. Um, I shouldn't say youngsters, but players like a Raheem Edwards or a Marlon Harrison who have had some significant minutes and times in this league, but they're still so young. So they have the experience of MLS and the, and the opponents and the schedule, but at the same time, they don't have a ton of miles on their legs or their bodies. And so I think that this is the time as the grind continues and you have three games in a week, plus the travel mixed in there, flying in on day of game, um, that this really is the, the test of the depth of the roster for Minnesota United. And something as, as innocuous or simple as coming out of Orlando and all of a sudden your starting goalkeeper is not available and, and has decided to have off-season surgery because of the shortened schedule and it's next man up mentality. So um, 
you know, I think this is the thing though. You just have to know that it's, you're not special to this when you're Minnesota United, literally every single club is going through something this season and it's going to be a testament of will and, you know, just who can kind of grind it out and put a good game plan together and um, have the depth in the roster to make changes when needed on a short and busy week. And you can join us and see how Minnesota United do in their latest test on the road at Sporting Kansas City. Fox Sports North, the place to watch it. Join myself and Kindred East St. Albin. Plenty coming your way on the Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota pregame show. Can Minnesota United find what would be their sixth victory of the season? We'll see you 7 p.m. on Sunday evening on Fox Sports North for Sporting KC against Minnesota United.